0: Mira C.
1: I think we need to have a clear distinction between what the coach provides against a fee and how the coach presents themselves into the world, because you and I both know tons of coaches who give away their services for free.
0: Hello, I'm Melinda Cohen, and you're listening to Just Between Coaches. I run a business called The Coaches Console, and we're proud to have helped over 50,000 entrepreneurs in creating profitable coaching businesses. In this podcast, my guests and I discuss challenging coaching conversations we experience with our clients. But I also love to take a deeper look into difficult issues and, well, reality checks that we might face with ourselves as coaches, as well as within our businesses. When we start out as coaches, we often have to figure out how to sell our services and put ourselves out there. It's hard to be a successful coach or consultant if you aren't confident in your work. And coaches usually say things like they hate selling or they don't like marketing. Yet there are ways to avoid tangling your business, but it takes work and it takes awareness. I've invited a coach with lots of experience and expertise and advice to explore this all too common issue from how to get and keep customers, how to develop your sales cycle, and so much more. He's also known for his no-nonsense approach and getting straight to the meat of it. Today, I'm going to be talking with Matthew Kimberly. Matthew is the author of Get a Grip. He has two decades of international sales and advisory experience and multiple millions of dollars, euros, and pounds generated for him and his clients it's safe to say that Matthew knows how to sell and he's here to share his abundance of experience with us. Matthew, welcome. Thank
1: you so much for having me, Melinda. It's an absolute pleasure to be here.
0: Well, I am so excited to talk about this topic with you. But before we dive into that, would you mind sharing just a little bit of your background with our listeners?
1: Absolutely. So my background is in sales. I've been in selling since Well, as long as I can remember, actually, my first job was setting appointments for window salespeople. And my next job was knocking on doors, being a window salesperson. I graduated through our work and uh, timeshare sales into recruitment consultancy, which was my first experience of corporate sales, selling to larger organizations. I ended up running a company that I owned and hated. And eventually I realized that what I really loved doing was training my sales team and helping other business owners get great sales results. So that naturally led to the business of business coaching.
0: Love it. And today's topic. So let's start exploring the problem with sales in a coaching business. But first, what do you think are like good traits of a good salesperson in your opinion? Are there certain traits that you need to have or emulate?
1: You know, I certainly believe that some people are more comfortable with selling than others. I think it's a skill that you could, well, you can learn because I teach it and I've seen plenty of people who've got up to 50, 60 years of age saying, oh, I can never sell, realizing that actually when you understand the mechanics behind selling, it's an awful lot less around mindset and a lot more about actions. So I'd say a sales education is going to be really useful for everybody. And the coaches who claim proudly that they hate selling or they're not a natural salesperson, well, that's okay. Well, maybe you shouldn't be self-employed then because, you know, the very essence of being self-employed is that you generate the sales for yourself, either alone or more likely in partnership with other people and with strong marketing efforts behind your sales skills as well. But really, when people are asking me, you know, how can I improve my sales skills? I take the blunt object approach, first of all. So a typical example might be a coach might come to me and say, hey, I need to talk to you because I haven't made any sales for the last three months. And I would typically say, that's interesting. So how many sales offers have you made? And they will say, well, yeah, I haven't really made any sales offers either. And I say, well, I think I see a correlation there. There's the, there's the first thing that we can deal with. And the blunt force approach I use with a personal trainer, for example, who came to me and said the same thing. He was sent to the local shopping mall and instructed to approach 100 strangers with no pitch, no script, just to say, "Hey, I'm a personal trainer. Would you be interested in booking a session?" And he was terrified by the prospect, but he got some results. I think maybe four or five people said, "Yes, sure." And he was terrified, but he got a five percent conversion rate with a little bit of effort one Saturday afternoon. And we were then able to tweak that so that the activity combined with the knowledge and I say rounding the edges and making the pitch a little bit more sophisticated ended up skyrocketing his conversion rates.
0: I love the distinction you made the mechanism versus the mindset. Just really looking at what are the mechanisms that you need to pay attention to and putting it doesn't even take much, just start putting some attention on it. It's a game changer already.
1: Well, they say, you know, even a broken clock is right twice a day and it's pretty dispiriting to be rejected frequently. But I think in in, for the coach who's listening to this, rejection shouldn't be a large part of your sales experience because you're going to be making offers that are appropriate to the amount of trust that you've earned and you'll be slipping into sales conversations as and when it fits rather than, I mean, I don't know any coaches cold calling, certainly not any self-employed coaches, for example.
0: Well, I think as coaches, we have this natural skill set where we love being of service. And really, when you look at sales, marketing, it's just being of service. And then people resonate and want what you have. And you make an invitation for them to do that with you. It really is quite simple. And I think as coaches, we have a natural skill set that we can bring to this. When I hear coaches say, oh, I hate selling. I'm often like, I don't think you hate selling. I think you hate convincing. I think you hate a certain approach to trying to get people to say yes to your offer, but I don't think you hate selling. Uh, What would you say about that? Like what's behind that when you hear coaches say they hate marketing or they hate selling?
1: In a satisfactory sales situation, both parties are absolutely thrilled. So I'm gonna buy something off you, Melinda, and I'm gonna give you an amount of money that I am happy to part with, in exchange for the service that I'm going to get, and you are happy to receive that amount of money in exchange for providing me with the services. We're both, we're both thrilled. We're both on the same page. You are able to solve my problem or get me closer to the result that I want. I recognize that, and I'm happy to pay for that. When both parties aren't on the same page, that's where the friction comes. So if you're knocking people over the head with promises that they are not sold on Or aren't interested in, then you're going to have natural resistance there. And that resistance is unpleasant. It's like running into a brick wall and you get dispirited and you say, Well, I asked 10 people to buy my thing and nobody bought it. That means that either they weren't buyers or you didn't explain it well enough to them, or quite simply, trust hadn't developed to a sufficient degree where the desire to engage you was active enough today for for a transaction to be made. You know, trust develops at different speeds for different prospects. And what I mean by that is, um, if I go and do a speaking gig, for example, I might talk for 45 minutes or 60 minutes on stage to a bunch of people I've never seen before. It's not uncommon if there are enough people in the room that somebody might come up to me afterwards immediately and say, Matthew, I really enjoyed that. Thank you. I wonder, you know, what does it look like to work with you privately? And I'll say, well, it's incredibly expensive and how can I talk you out of it? And they say, no, no, I'm so, I'll am so. say, but you've only known me for 60 minutes. But we might have a coffee and it's not uncommon that they may then invest a you know, five-figure sum to, to work with me for some months. So it took that person 60 minutes, 90 minutes to make a five-figure buying decision. But then I'll go back to my hotel room and I'll check my emails and there'll be an email from somebody and it will say, hey, Matthew, I want to let you know, I've been on your email list for the last seven years and I just bought a copy of your book because it was on offer on Amazon. And so it took that person seven years to make a $3 investment, but it took somebody else 90 minutes to make a $10,000, dollars $30,000 investment, which I think is fascinating. I think it means we also need to be meeting people where they are. And the old adage from the slimy, manipulative textbook sales culture that you'll probably be familiar with is always be closing. And I think that's exhausting and terrifying, and what coaches should probably be doing instead is always be opening, always opening the door and saying, "Hey, it, there might be an opportunity for us to work together here should we explore it." I think what you said earlier as well, Melinda, about many coaches, um, you know, if you are of service, then people will engage with you and people will buy from you, possibly, but also possibly not. I think we need to have a clear distinction between what the coach provides against a fee and how the coach presents themselves into the world. Because you and I both know tons of coaches who give away their services for free or get to the end of a, I don't know, a strategy session or a discovery call and uh, say, well, I solved my client's problem so they didn't need to hire me. So I think we need to have very clear markers about what is available upfront and what is available against a price. Like any business, the idea that an accounting firm would provide services for free or a gardening firm would provide services for free or retail organization would give you clothes for free if they just convince you that you'd look good. It's crazy. But coaches do tend to coach for free and they tend to coach when they should be selling as well.
0: Now, I found it interesting because a lot of the coaches that we work with are newer in their journey. And so many of them are Well, like me, they were fired from their job, so they're starting their business. Or they decided to leave that job because it was sucking the life out of them. So they're like, no, I'm going to go do something that matters. Or maybe they've retired and this is what they want to do next. Or for whatever reason, they came from a job as an employee, and now they're stepping into being an entrepreneur, being a business owner for themselves. How much of that employee mindset is influencing this thing called sales and making offers and enrolling people? And how can they switch that? How can they switch gears?
1: I think it depends what kind of employee you've been. If you've been in direct sales like I was, I think it was a massive benefit because it was what I knew. (laughs) So when it came to get clients for myself, I understood what I needed to do. I understood the correlation that we discussed at the beginning between activity and results. What I see frequently as well, Melinda, like you, is perhaps a management consultant or somebody who's worked for a, a large organization in a consultancy role. And they say, well, I'm going to go on my own. I've got a good network of contacts. And they realize then without the might of the sales force behind them, they have to generate their own leads and they have to do their own business where their experience in the past has typically been working on delivery. So when you set up on your own, there's an awful lot that we can learn from the corporate structures that we've left. For example, if we look at how corporate allocate their resources. Typically outside of the C-suite, the most highly paid department is the sales department. They're, they're, They're the ones who have bringing in oxygenated business blood into the organization. And so what many coaches do, unfortunately, when they leave a corporation is they completely forget that and they start to prioritize their emails, their spreadsheets, the colors on their website as the first thing that they do every day. And then they get lost in client work if they've got any clients. And then as an afterthought, they'll do some marketing. And often that marketing is preaching to the choir rather than generating new leads. So does it really count as marketing? And then only then if a sales inquiry comes in, they'll follow up on it. But we really should be flipping that completely and prioritizing sales. And what I mean by prioritizing sales is looking at the mechanisms of it. Come into the office, sit down in front of your computer, look at your pipeline and say, how am I going to move? This person from the left of the screen to the right of the screen. Whether, you know, with manual intervention, am I going to pick up the phone? Am I going to send an email? Am I going to write a letter? Am I going to send a text message? Or am I going to automate some of that sequence? It doesn't matter. The end result is the same. We need to move people through our pipeline from potentially interested to paying client. And we're also going to see at that stage that, oh, shucks, our pipeline's looking a little bit empty. We better make sure we're generating 10 new leads today. What can I do today that will actively make new people aware of me? And when we've done those two critical things, we can get out of the feast and famine cycle and we can focus on delivery and and making sure our clients are happy. And then maybe emails at the end of the day if you absolutely have to.
0: And I love when you break down the mechanism, you're able to ask specific questions. So when you sit at your desk, how can I move these people from this spot to this spot in my pipeline? And how can I generate new people to be aware of me? Now, those are very specific questions that we can answer and we can get to work on it instead of just being this vague, broad, big, overwhelming concept that a lot of coaches will tend to ignore. When it comes to coaches, one of the things that I see a lot, especially for the newer coaches, oh, I don't know, who am I kidding? I see it on all coaches at all levels. They undersell themselves, right? How can they avoid to do that? Like, what lessons have you learned that you can share so coaches stop underselling, undervaluing themselves?
1: Right. Great question. And, you know, possibly one for your therapist rather than your business coach in many cases. <laughs> I'm not joking. You know, 90%, know. Of business, 90% of business problems are personal problems in disguise. The major problem, though, is that we confuse ourself with the product. And that's dangerous on every level. That means that, you know, if a customer is unhappy then we see our self-worth or our self-esteem get chipped away if we feel that we are the product. If we have a bad day as a salesperson, then all of a sudden that makes us a bad human being and it becomes a bit of a vicious cycle. Um, If you're employed and your boss tells you, go and sell this service, this accounting service. Here's your zip codes. These are the areas that you're allowed to canvas. Go out and sell the services. Here's the price list you do it. You don't tell the boss, ah, well, these prices, are they seem a little... So what I did is I gave them a 90% discount just to get them on board. You'd be fired immediately because the prices are fixed and they're set in stone. And the reason that they're fixed and set in stone is because they're a kind of intangible, disassociated object. We need to practice disassociation. And I find that coaches who sell their timeshare on their brain Are the ones who find it more difficult. I don't want to talk in absolutes, but many of those people find it more difficult to put a value on the thing that they're selling because they think that the thing they're selling is a part of them. It's really important for a healthy coaching business and also for the ease of the prospect to buy from you that you as a coach offer a process with a result that is packaged up in a way that's easy to understand let me give you a concrete example melinda when i when i became a coach i knew that i could wing it and i had some sales training that i'd been giving my team at the organization i used to run and you know read some books and was pretty good at extemporaneous talking as you can probably tell but i really wanted a system i wanted to be selling an object That was disassociated from me. Now, in my particular case, I chose Book Yourself Solid. There was a licensing program or a franchise, if you like, that enabled me to go to market and say, I love this thing. Um, Let me implement it in your business. Here's the beginning. Here's the middle. Here's the end. What do you say? And it's much easier than going into an organization saying, I can help you become better all round. I could walk into an organization and say, I will work with you for the next six months and help you improve your sales by 15%. Or... You know, uh, increase your resilience by 20%, or cause your staff churn to decrease by 20%, or help you lose 15 pounds, or whatever it is that you sell. It's much easier to do that when we can assign a value to an outcome, and much easier to do when it's an intangible, disassociated object. So separating yourself from the service that you provide is very, very important. It also allows you, when you want to, to reach some sort of scale. If the only person who can deliver your magic is you, congratulations, you've got a very highly paid job or maybe a not very highly paid job, right? But if you have a systematic process, a model, some intellectual property, something that you've developed based upon your knowledge, experience, best practices, how clients have got results in the past, and you could package that up, well, that allows you to systematize. It allows you to give it to staff members to deliver to your clients on your behalf. It allows you to roll that out into perhaps a self-study program or something like that. And that we can never do if what we're selling is our wisdom.
0: Now, when it comes to your sales background, what advice would you give to coaches when they are getting on a call with that potential client? Uh, What are some things that they should remember in that situation?
1: Well, I think it begins before they get on the call. I'm not a huge fan of unframed discovery calls or unframed strategy sessions. And by unframed, I mean, you know, if you're getting on a call with a prospect to answer some questions and then pitch them, I think you should be invited to pitch them or you should tell them that that's going to happen at the end of the call. So that's the first thing I would say is if you're inviting people to do a discovery session, including the in the language or the literature somewhere ahead of time is that we're a for-profit organization around here. If if uh, we feel that we can continue to serve you through one of our paid programs, we'll let you know what they are. Would you be interested in hearing about them if appropriate? And it's a checkbox. It's We use that at Book Yourself Solid. It's a checkbox. And they say, yes, and then when they join the call i think it's very important to set the tone when you join the call you're in control you're in charge you're the expert temptation of many prospects is to come with lots of things they want to talk to you about and the temptation for many newer coaches on those calls is to provide coaching and i don't think either of those are a good idea so i would always start every call by saying something along the lines of i'm comfortable how are you how's the weather brilliant thank you for being here the purpose of today's call is determine whether or not we can help you. And if we should be working together, does that sound right to you? And they will say, yes, because you've told them that in advance. Good. So to that end, I'm going to be asking you some questions and then you can ask me some questions if you have any, and then we'll see what we do at the end. Maybe I'll say it would be worthwhile checking out one of our programs and maybe we'll part ways. Are you okay with that? Yes. Fantastic. So what we've done there is we've made them comfortable. We've told them exactly what's going to happen over the next 20 minutes, 30 minutes, 45 minutes, whatever it is. Um, we've said, first, I'm going to ask questions so you can relax. Then if you want, you can ask questions. So you can, you know, this isn't a test. You don't have to prepare anything necessarily unless they do, in which case they should have already known by now. And then at the end of it, we're going to talk about our programs. And what you've done then is actually you've instilled some curiosity already. It's going to be very rare that they don't get to the end of the call and say, well, what does it look like to work with you? And that's precisely what we want. The biggest problem for coaches is not actually having the sales conversation. It's getting into the sales conversation. It's going from talking about the prospect's problems to introducing the fact that you have programs that solves the problems without sounding icky or slimy or sucky or or salesy or sleazy. And what we tend to do is then we put that off for as long as possible because we don't want to change the nature of the relationship with the person in front of us. They like me, seems to be going well. I don't want to ruin it by making a sales offer thing is, we're never offended when somebody makes us a sales offer. I can't remember the last time I was offended when somebody made me a sales offer. I get a bit miffed if the person who makes the offer doesn't hear my response. I'm like, no, thank you, I'm not interested. And they carry on, then that becomes problematic. But if somebody says, hey, would you like to find out more about working with me? If there's some curiosity, I'll say, yeah, sure, what you got? And that's what we can do. So in these sales conversations, we go from, um, we're going to have a conversation about how, how we can work together later on. But first of all, tell me what's going on. Then during that conversation, what we want to do is we want to find out where they want to go and why they're not there yet. And if they would like some help with getting there and if they would like that help to come from us.
0: What would that transition sound like? I just, I'm, I love this because that is where we all get tripped up is the transitions. Well,
1: let me give you a perfect example. This is the four part book yourself solid, super simple sales conversation. You're having a conversation with somebody who is obviously a prospect. We're not walking up to complete strangers at parties and having this conversation with them. There's always context. There's always context. So what is it you do? Okay. So, um, you ask them, what are you looking to achieve? What are you working on? What are your goals? What's important to you? We're asking some form of what are you going towards or what are you going away from? Cause that's what we coach around more of something or less of something typically. And they might say, take an example. Oh, I don't know. I'd like to, work uh, working on increasing my revenue by $100,000 in the next 12 months. Oh, wow. That sounds great. And then we ask why. And you don't have to just say why. I mean, you can. But you can say, oh, wow. Well, you know, what would happen to your life if you had an extra 100K? Oh, I could finally afford an extra employee, or I could pay off my mortgage, or I could take the kids to Disney World or something. You go, yeah, that does sound important. So we're, we're future pacing. it. So the first question is, what do you want? I just want it to be easy. Okay, what does easy look like for you? How will it feel when it's easy? How will you feel when things are easy? Great. And then you say, well, look, would you like somebody to help you with that? And they're going to answer either yes, no, or it depends. What have you got? And if they say no, you say, great, well, listen, uh, no problem, but you know, that's pretty much my sweet spot. They might say, well, yes, but I can't afford it. And you say, great, well, if, you know if that's your decision, then if that ever changes, let me know. Or they might say, do you want somebody to help you with that? And they go, well, yeah, you know, if only I could find the right person. And say, well, funnily enough, we have some programs, or I have some programs, or I, I do precisely that with my clients. I help, I help small business owners generate an extra 100K in 100 days. In 100 days, really? Wow. What does that look like? Well, we have a program. Well, how much does it cost? Well, I don't, hang on. I don't know whether you need option A, option B, or option C yet. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. Tell me a bit more. And that way you are into... They've invited you to talk to you about the program. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, love it. I love the structure of it. In a lot of the training that I've done with sales over the years, there's been a lot of places I've gone to, and they give out scripts. Learn this script, read this script, memorize this script. Um, What are your thoughts on that? Obviously, you can probably tell from the tone of my voice, my thoughts on that. With your background, what is your experience with that?
1: Funnily enough, I think it's never a bad idea to have structure and framework for a sales organization. I think scripts, you know, if you can read them and they don't sound scripted, then great. Uh, Scripts, like word for word in and of themselves are problematic, I agree.
0: Yeah, I think people start, focusing on the wrong thing at that point. And then they get disengaged from the conversation is what I have found happens more times than not. They forget the reason and the purpose that they're there.
1: I think it's a bad idea for an amateur to wing it. You know, I'd always recommend some form of sales training because it's critical. And I think some structure around it is a good idea. I come from a classical sales background where I learned and I experienced that cutting corners because I thought I knew better never served me. And we used to have to do an hour's warm-up, an hour's warm-up. We had to you know, chat about everything and anything for one hour before we were allowed to start pitching the product. Um, and we used to think we could shortcut this and we never could. So I think structure is very important and you will trust that process until you have enough empirical data that you can test other hypotheses. Say, well, my hypothesis is that if we make these calls 20 minutes instead of 40 minutes, we will make more sales overall. Or my hypothesis is that these calls aren't long enough. Or my hypothesis is that it damages the brand reputation if me, the coach, are doing these onboarding calls or these discovery sessions. So yeah, scripts suck. <laughs> but structure is really important.
0: Yeah, structure, framework. I wholeheartedly, like what are the elements you need to know? The framework, like your four-part, super simple sales convo from Book Yourself Solid. Like that Knowing that framework, that is necessary. I do agree with that as well. What's one of the most challenging sales situations that you've had to face that really kind of put you to the test? How'd you handle that?
1: Nowadays, the most challenging sales situations are when I break my own red velvet rope policy. So the red velvet rope policy is a filtration device that dictates who is allowed to work with you. It's like you have bouncers on the door of your business. You've got to get clear on, on who you get your best results with, who you want to spend time with, Because when you work with clients who energize you and inspire you, you're energized and inspired. And when you work with clients who train you, you're drained. And you're not getting your best results when you're drained. And you want to get your best results because it's a virtuous cycle. And still to this day, Melinda, I will jump on a call with somebody and the alarm bells will start ringing. They will say, you know, ring, 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 red flag here, red flag there. Oh, I've worked with a thousand coaches and nobody's any good. And I go, well, you know, how much would I charge to make this worth my while? I ask myself. And then I quote them something, but I know it's going to come at a great personal cost. And so I quote them something which reflects that. Yeah, I can help you, but it's going to be X, where X is typically normal price times two or three. And they say yes. And I go, okay, maybe it'll be different this time. And it's never, it's never different this time. It doesn't matter how much money. The idea that we all have a price, I just don't believe it anymore. Also, I'm very lucky, Melinda, because I've been doing this work for long enough and I continue to do the work. So, yeah, a little bit of luck and a little bit of discipline that I can afford to say no to people if I don't want to work with them. And I recognize that's not the case for everybody who have mortgages to pay and, and mouths to feed and not entirely convinced where next month's paycheck is coming from. But even then, we can tighten our red velvet rope policy over time as we get better at this, and we suck it up for the first few years. The idea that it should be easy from day one is nonsense. Okay, It doesn't matter what we say. It doesn't matter what the experts tell you. Being self-employed is difficult, and it's not for everybody, and sometimes it's going to suck. And so you suck it up. And if you manage to continue that, and you practice you know, best practices, and you keep an eye on important things, and you practice cash flow, forecasting and you, you know, don't go bankrupt and so on and so forth, then after a while you'll be able to say, I don't need this client because I'm confident that the marketing systems that I put in place will be delivering me new clients next week.
0: Yeah. Having that fierce red velvet rope policy to keep us clear so we don't drop into that desperation, attachment, resentment kind of energy. And I love how you said you can tighten it over time. It can be a little looser in the beginning, but we can be intentional and tighten it over time. So let's summarize a few things because we've talked about a lot on this topic. And so first, Matthew, you shared with us the traits of a good salesperson, right? Having a good sales education, being able to make offers, having good communication skills so you can talk about what you do. You gave the distinction between the mechanisms with selling and the mindset and being able to break it down with things like our pipeline or where are we getting new leads, new people that are aware of us. And we talked about how trust has to be developed, that we have to meet people where they are. And what I loved when you said that was people develop trust at different speeds for different prospects, and we've got to pay attention to that. And then you took this old adage, the ABCs of selling that so many of us have heard all these years, always be closing. And you flipped that on its head and you talked about always be opening, always being opening the door to see the opportunities to work with. Should we explore working together and just bringing that kind of energy to the conversation? And you shared some tips for how they can stop underselling themselves, being able to practice that disassociation and having the process, what's the process that you offer, the result, the package, the way you package it, so that that's clear that we can present that and sell that and not confuse ourselves with the products. You shared with us the four-part super simple sales convo from Book Yourself Solid and how to make that transition so it's not awkward or blurty or just that weird moment of when you do wanna talk about what you do and you threw in the red velvet rope policy. So thank you so much, Matthew, for this incredible conversation. Do you have any parting words that you want to share with our listeners?
1: Keep going. Keep going. However you're feeling, whether you're facing an uphill or a downhill at the moment, you'll have plenty more of those in the future. It's not the be all and end all. I think when you can get good at sales and marketing for your coaching business to the point where it feels easy enough that next month is probably going to be okay then that is time very well invested.
0: Beautiful. Well, thank you for listening to this episode of Just Between Coaches. And also a big thank you to Matthew for this incredible conversation about the problem with how to sell and market your coaching services. You can find out more about him at marketingforcoaches.com. That's marketing marketingforcoaches.com. Matthew, thank you so much for coming to the show.
1: Thank you for having me. The pleasure was entirely mine.
0: I'm Melinda Cohen, and you've been listening to Just Between Coaches. Just Between Coaches is part of the Miracy FM podcast network, which also includes such shows as Making It and Course Lab. This episode was produced by Cynthia Lamb. I wrote this episode with Mishi Lance. She assembled the episode. Danny Innie is our executive producer, and post-production was by Post Office Sound. To get future great episodes that are coming up on Just Between Coaches, please follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening right now. And if you like the show... Please leave us a starred review. It's the best way to help us get these ideas to more people.
2: Miracy. And so the tailor, having gathered together the beautiful scraps, began to sew. He stitched and he sewed and he sewed and he stitched. And by the morning time, he had made himself a beautiful coat. Now, when he wore his coat into the market, everyone admired it so much that the tailor decided to wear the new coat everywhere. And that's what he did. He wore it and wore it and wore it until it was all worn out. Or was it?
1: In each episode of Once Upon a Business, Lisa shares a fairy, folk, or traditional tale and then extracts rich business lessons that are applicable for entrepreneurs, coaches, and course creators.
2: Stories always take us on a journey from one place to the next. Sometimes this journey is literal, sometimes it's metaphorical, but always we find ourselves transformed. This story, The Tailor's Coat, originating from Europe, takes us through a literal transformation of the pieces of cloth and yet somehow teaches a powerful lesson. It does speak to a common entrepreneurial journey. Many of us start out working for someone else and give them everything we've got. Perhaps the tailor finally deciding to make something for himself is similar to the entrepreneurial desire to begin to create a business for ourselves. We take the scraps, the skills that we've developed, the experience that we've gained, and we launch our own business. I think it's an incredibly important skill for an entrepreneur, for anybody running a business, to be able to know that creating something out of nothing is always possible. And it's often the way forward because... It's out of the scraps of what's been done before. It's out of almost the missing pieces that are not quite there that we can actually bring our creativity and bring our determination and bring our vision to create something really wonderful, really brand new and really beautiful. And then we can walk around the town with it. You know, we can be proud, we can step out and we can wear it until it's almost worn out, but not quite To hear more of Lisa's stories and learn the deep lessons they
1: carry, make sure you subscribe to Once Upon a Business wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you every other week with a brand new episode.